This is Coda Radio, episode 244 for February 13th, 2017. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our man, perched and established on the East Coast by, even call him a super fan, it's Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How are you feeling, sir? Are you well-traveled at this point? I am well-traveled. Uh, too many states and too little time. I, how's, how, how are you, li- honestly, feeling? Energy-wise, are you wiped out? Or are you feeling like you're going to... Uh, you know, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm feeling pretty invigorated. Um, my monitor keeps flashing black, which is annoying. Oh, that'll wake you up. Yeah, it wakes you right up. Yeah, so that's good. I made the mistake opening chrome for like a second <laughs> uh, i got some so. questions for you today i uh, i've been stalking you online so i've kind of got a sense of what your week has been like and uh, i'm just i'm just i don't even know where to begin i'm i am a washing question so uh nominally today we're gonna get to those but but on our way we're gonna do some feedback and uh, we're gonna hear about uh mr dominic's visit to system 76 headquarters for the super fan event which uh, I got all. Co- I've been watching your Twitter feed. I saw some great. I saw some great pictures come across there. So I got, I got all kinds of questions about that too. But we've been doing something to sort of, you know, make us even, to, to just sort of even things out a little bit on the show. We've been reading feedback. That's how we've been warming up lately, and I've been liking it. That's right. And uh, we got some uh, feedback from last week's show by uh, not a guy at work, which I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, man, but I think that totally gives you away. So not a guy at work writes in and he says, I just want to say that my experience on the Surface Pros is that here at my work, it's not seen as a regular tablet. Remember, we were talking about uh, tablet work in in professional um, industries. All of our upper management personnel have a Surface Pro. They dock them when at their desks and they're not a burden to take everywhere to meetings, to home and on travel. So they use them mostly as a laptop, but they, they can break away sometimes for meetings and Picking up as as sort of the a thread that uh, connect uh, last week's episode to Linux Action Show, Noah told a story recently that a lot of his clients that he's had for a while, they have younger people stepping into management roles now, younger defined as people in their mid-20s and early 30s. So younger as in they're new to the position and they're they're in their early 30s. And he says that they're asking for touch devices on their phone. They're having to replace the desk phone with desk phones that run Android. And that he said he's even replaced uh, a desktop PC with like a like one of Samsung's crazy twenty inch tablets, um, and uh, Surface Pros. And he says that what's happening is they're coming in and they're saying I work better with this equipment. And uh, I believe Noah one hundred percent because Noah is there's <laughs> Noah is the last person on the face of the earth that yeah. wants to do that for people, and his, but his clients are asking yeah. for it, so he's doing it. Uh, so not a guy at work and Noah both kind of say our management is preferring these devices. I think is fascinating. So I, I appreciate not a guy taking a moment to uh, comment on that and sort of flush out kind of our understanding 
of uh, where these touch devices are taking off, which, of course, correlates to development opportunities and things like that. Um, okay. All right. Then we also had sent into the show this link for .NET Renaissance, which I think we saw floating around. I can't remember if I saw it in the subreddit or somebody also tweeted it at us, but it's up on uh, – it's a medium.com post, but it was posted by Mark Rendell, I think is how you say his name. Rendell? I'm not sure. I should know probably before I, before I speak out at a turn. But uh, he's an open source.net hacker. He's worked uh, at uh, Microsoft and Azure. I guess he's a Docker captain, which must mean he's just good at Docker, I guess. That's, I guess that's what they call themselves now as Docker captains. <laughs> so what drew your attention to this link? So, it, one, it was trending uh, on Reddit, and then it was in the Code Radio subreddit. So I took a look at it, and it is a really interesting uh, concept that there would be some sort of .NET renaissance. And I, I think... I Really, though? I mean, I think you kind of called this, actually. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this. I, I mean, the show's old. So a long time ago in podcast years, or was it like a year and a <laughs> it's half? Like, it's more ago? than dog years. It's way more. Yeah, it's like way more. Uh, I'm a little like I've been doing a ton of uh, WPF and C sharp and it's interesting. And I, I'm trying to like get my head around this whole C sharp becoming more popular thing again. Well, you know C- what, Mike, when it when yeah, jumps out at me and, and this medium post talk touches on it, uh, it's almost perfect. He says, uh, some developers love .NET and C Sharp, but also wanted to expand their horizons. They tried to take it the ecosystem into places where Microsoft did not mean for it to go, onto other platforms, mixing with other systems than Windows, IIS, SQL Server, using libraries beyond the framework itself and Microsoft's in-house ORMs and web frameworks. The idea became known as Alt.NET, and the efforts of those who pushed for it were violent, yes. or violent, not violent, <laughs> valent, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, but they fought against an uh, unstoppable tide and were frustrated. I think, you know, he's probably inferring mono in there to a degree, too, and all of that. I, I, I look at .NET's history very much from the perspective that was in a camp of let's move this over to another platform both as a Linux server administrator at the time during its introduction and as a Linux user running Mono Runtime and things written in uh, GTK, Mono, or whatever it was back then. Like, there was a big effort to make it more platform agnostic, and it did feel like for a while there, there was a big cloud of uncertainty around Mono. Would Microsoft come after those using it? And there was so much uncertainty that the community sort of acting as one without really much discussion or debate move to just slowly remove mono components and .NET applications from Linux distributions for the most part. There was a big pushback there because they were afraid of Microsoft in the long run either using this as a way to control something or coming after people. Patent violation or something like that was a big concern. And now here we are in 2016, 17, because they really did it in 16, but here we are in 2017 and – that's Microsoft's very intent now with opensourcing.net is making it easy to move to other platforms. And now they now we will live in a reality where they work closely with the mono developers and they work closely with Itakaz and his team. So we live in a completely different world than what we all were afraid of. Um, but it was a huge cloud over .NET back then from my perspective. Yes, but so far... I mean, when I think Microsoft, and this may just be my own my own kind of bias and background coming in here, I really am thinking like access systems, WPF apps, things that sure, are sure, yeah. running on IAS or a legacy or 
So no one, I don't know of a lot of people, and if you are doing this work, please let me know, who are upgrading people from, let's say, an IAS um, ASP app to a .NET Core app, right? A lot of what I'm seeing and what I'm still doing is migrating people just away from Microsoft completely to Rails or Java, depending on, you know, what you need, right? I would only, I could only speculate here. I would speculate that is probably true for a very large portion of the market, but there's probably an equally large dark matter portion of the market where they're just maintaining internally built applications that were right, built. Right. I, that's what I'm saying. I think they're maintaining what's there. I don't think they're actually like... So, okay. Well, maintaining might not be generous enough. What, I, what I'm trying to imply okay. is we have invested in talent that know how to manage the Microsoft infrastructure, which includes... You know, using the patch management lifecycle and using WSUS, Active Directory, really wrapping your head around how to properly secure a Windows box that's on the Internet or that's used locally with web services. And then you have the development in-house staff. And as a business, there's really zero incentive to retool all of that. So you would just keep updating it. So you could call it maintenance, but you could also call it continued investment. Right, but I, I think it's important not to underplay how many like big companies that you've heard of right, are really running old apps on Access that just because they don't want to do any kind of migration. So your supposition is that uh, they're so far behind in the technology that when they go to build the, the next version of the application, why not just start with a some, some completely fresh? Well, actually, my, my, my argument is this is sort of a defensive move from Microsoft. Oh, yeah. And okay. My, uh, right. I agree, yeah. And my my question and and for anybody in the audience who's doing this kind of uh, .NET core development is it really less work i mean if somebody's that far back right if somebody's in asp classic it seems like just as much work to write them a .NET core asp app you know going from vbasic to c sharp than to just migrate them to something else completely um especially if you are going to host it on linux and do something like docker right cuz this stuff is still pretty new the .NET Core stuff. And while I think it's great to have competition and I'm happy to see, um, you know, I, I actually think it's it's important that Microsoft have done this. I don't consider it really done. Yeah, because part I'm, of it really is yeah. the, um, I don't want to use the word ecosystem because it's such a debug term. It's part of it is the, uh, Almost a community. Like, yeah, the, yeah, community would be yeah. another good way to put it. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have a community that almost has so much momentum on its own that Microsoft doesn't matter in a sense. What I mean by well, that think, is, yeah. I just mean like you gotta have something like like a new the developer can fall backwards into and be surrounded by some by a community that catches them with hacks, tricks, well, pre-written code, stack yeah. exchanges overflowing with information, which actually to some degree it is there. It's just. It is there. I mean, doing the WPF uh, job I was just on is, you know, the one thing that's kind of nice about WPF is it's been around forever and you can basically Google your way. The thing that's horrible about WPF is it's been around forever and it was very much (laughs) designed for a different world. So that is a little awkward. I I would also say that I think part of why I'm feeling maybe not the rah-rah renaissance thing that the the, the writer of this post does is that a big piece of that story was going to be UWP, the Universal Windows Platform. And by all accounts, I mean, take a look at Therat.com, take a look at um, 
really any Microsoft focused podcast and even, you know, the Windows Store, that platform has not taken off hmm. for what I think are pretty good reasons, right? It's a it's a filter down version. And in fact, I tried to do a prototype on it and we ended up just going with WPF because you can buy something from Telerik <laughs> to do your controls on WPF and not have to know how to do that, right? Like one nice thing about WPF is there's so much out there that you can kind of just fumble your way through um, or maybe put more generously, there are modules you can just use without having to know the ins and outs of things. With the UWP, it's very restricted, but it brings a lot of modern ways of thinking, particularly about layouts and particularly about networking, which I think WPF does not. Hmm. Um, now there are libraries, there's MVVM Cross, there's all kinds of stuff to to make WPF behave more and more in a modern way. So that that's just an, an aside here about you know what I think was going to be a holistic strategy of UWP married to .NET Core being their their answer basically for front end back end client server applications is not really happening so far. Well, I don't want to take it a step further because let's if you go with what the author of the post Mark here, if you go with his core point, he says. What he's really driving at, there's almost no value for Microsoft for us to end there. So, you know, because he talks about using Nancy instead of MVC, Postgres instead of SQL Server, basically replacing tons of Microsoft's core strategic components with other platforms or open source alternatives. So Microsoft, they may win the turf war in some sense with this, but what do they walk away with if everybody, if you're swapping out all of the Microsoft components here? I, I, so I guess what well, I'm getting Azure, at is right? Azure. They they walk away with. I mean, there's something to if, be said. Yeah, I don't. I, I, uh, I mean, yeah. I guess there will naturally Azure. be more Azure customers. I suppose the yes to a degree, but I I I look at this more as if this is truly successful, you end up with people replacing so many different backend components of this that you don't really need Microsoft's infrastructure for this. You don't need their their other core technologies. Right, but I mean, the business model of charging me a license to use your database was kind of screwed anyway, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons people, so. you know, yeah. you know this as well as I do. Yeah. One of the easiest ways to turn somebody off of Microsoft is to ta- start talking about SQL Server yeah. licensing. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> did we just, uh, .NET Renaissance, did we just bah humbug this? <laughs> we just kind of Spanish Armada style, mm. except without the store. And we're like, no. Although if we're wrong, I would love to know somebody out there that disagrees with us. But build a good, you know, give us a good case and let us know. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. I'll definitely try to make sure we get it on the show next week. Because um, uh, I, I do picture, like, I, I, I guess I also want to restate. I do picture a large group of businesses that don't consider it just maintenance. They consider it reinvesting. And they're probably very excited to see the technology that they've invested in for so many years. Is now going to the down this path because it's going to be something that if I was if I had spent let's just say over the years twenty thirty thousand dollars on paying for developers and paying for I mean it's so much more than that right it's so much more than that I'm just trying on to make support, I'm trying to it's training yeah I mean, I'm trying a, to sound like a, I'm not exaggerating but let's be realistic here you three, you got a couple of system administrators at a business yeah. one or two developers just just that base cost plus software licensing and then the time to train all of your users to use the system i can't even i couldn't even begin cuz it's going to be so it's going to be so varied per company but it even for a small company is a massive massive cost so for them 
seeing this new community interest in .NET, seeing more and more people use it, and seeing and seeing Microsoft's direction in how they're how they're really changing their tune on all of this, I actually would be feeling pretty good that I made a, lo- a good long term bet, and I would yeah. I think that's just gonna that's gonna double down. These companies are gonna double down. Yeah, and I would actually just want to hit one more point before we get off of this. Um, depend, this may actually be true that there is a renaissance, depending on what you consider that, right? Mm. Do .NET developers feel re- reinvigorated and more excited and are kind of you know doing more things in open source? I think that's like obviously true, right? That's yeah. demonstrably true. Are some of the developers that were lost to maybe more open Linuxy, Rails, Python, whatever, coming back? I think that's a much harder press. And even if that were true, I think more new developers are are never going into the Microsoft stack. They're just coming into HTML. They're coming into JavaScript. I mean, a number of schools are just teaching Python now, which is an interesting choice in my opinion. But <laughs> hey, I, I still think it should be C++ or Java, but it's fine. I don't know, and, man. Uh, I, I, yeah, I agree to a degree, but also you don't want to scare people away. <laughs> well, job is easy. I mean, but whatever, right? I mean, there's a certain thing about fashion, too, and like OO is becoming old, and I may just be clinging to my OO because I know it and like it. And, you know, I don't know that the replacement rate on .NET developers is what they need it to be to keep a thriving community. And I could be wrong. That could just be my perception because I go to things like a System76 event <laughs> where there are literally none. Like I was the closest thing to because I was sure had literally done C Sharp that morning. Um, but I, you know, when I meet young people and I'm talking like high school kids, early college kids, things like that, even any college kids, really. No one's like excited to whip open Visual Studio. Everyone's talking about like Node or this new hipster version of javascript or yeah that makes like sense that, and right? to a degree right because if you're getting into it for the early on you're doing it because you're excited and so you're reading what other right. people are excited about right and you have like a macbook or something or yeah so all right we can move on we won't make microsoft any sadder <laughs> or the people that really love what they're doing sadder is really what it is all right well let's take a minute and talk about something that's such a sweet sweet deal Go over to scaleyourcode.com and sign up for free to get access to interviews and inside looks and tutorials. They do it via a newsletter. You can unsubscribe at any time. I mean, we're talking probably two to three emails a month. So it's not it's not super high volume. Even with my crazy inbox, I was able to sign up. It's a resource that surrounds you with industry experts who share their knowledge on scalability, performance, and reliability. You can see how experts run their platforms and get inside looks at how these different companies not just only grow their infrastructure, but also, which I think is key for a lot of us, how they're dealing with difficult engineering problems, what their solutions were, how their culture plays into all of this. They have so many interviews now. I I would encourage you to take a look. Go sign up. There's one that I think sounds extremely exciting. It's building an API for many devices and choosing native versus web apps at Plex.tv. So it's, a, it's an interview with the senior software engineer and director of Stuff in the Cloud. That's the title at Plex.tv. That is a hell of an interview. Wow. So check it out. Go over to scaleyourcode.com, sign up for the newsletter, get access to the interviews. That's really great. You, you know, so, so in line with what we talk about, choosing native versus web apps, then creating an API so things can interact with them. They had to build a Rails API that could support tons of different types of devices, and 21,000 requests per minute. 
They also have a really unique transcoding and streaming challenges. So I'm, man, that's got to be a. I cannot wait. I'm going to probably listen to this after the show. Check it out. Scaleyourcode.com. Sign up. Get the newsletter. It's not. A, it's not a lot. It's not a heavy traffic list. It's, no, maybe three mo- emails a month. That's pretty good. And it's it's just about great stuff. Learn from renowned engineers and their cultures at Scaleyourcode.com. And a big thank you to Scale Your Code for sponsoring the Code Radio Program. <clears throat> that's how you say it. That's the that's the official pronunciation. Um, at least I, I, I believe that's the case. Mr. Dominic, it looks like you were having quite a party speaking of System 76. Uh, there's several tweets of, uh, I think you came dressed up. I, I don't know what happened. Do you, is this how you travel? Do you travel in medieval garb or, or what I, was going I on? I always travel uh, in medieval garb because I, I want to make sure that the TSA <laughs> is prepared for magical threats. Yes, yes, of course, because that's probably not on the radar. So somebody has to be. You know, they're, they're thinking about shoe bombs. They're thinking about, you know, liquids, uh, chemicals, things like that. Have they considered the force? What about the wizard threat? There are wizards. Every- <laughs> well, where'd you go? Did you mute? Honey bear, where'd you go? I did mute for a second. Come back to me. What, did I lose you in Denver? What ha- what happened to you? Did you smoke something while you were in Denver? I did not. You know what? In fact, somebody mistook me for you and handed me a 3D printed three foot bong. Yes. I said, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not Chris Bishop. That's because that not only is that a thing that could be done, but of course that would happen because I walk around places and people hand me bongs. <laughs> I, I literally landed in the airport. <laughs> and they were like, hello, Chris. I'm sorry. They're like, yeah, Chris. Yeah. You know what it is? It's German. the beard. It's the beard. It uh, just confuses him every time. So tell yeah, me, what I, is I this? Because think... a lot of people listening, first of all, a lot of people are listening going, why did Mike go to a System 76 event? And I could probably answer that. And number two, what is a System 76 Supervan event and what it's like? Uh, and I think well, I, I not... think you are an interesting choice to go simply because you probably represent a target market that they're going after pretty aggressively, the software developer market with things like the Lemur, which is uh, something you ended up purchasing and talking quite a bit about on the show. Yeah, I so I did not know of it or what it was until I got invited to it. Yeah, so yeah, okay. It is a, I would say, it, but certainly a PR event, right? But it is, a, in this case, they were showing us pre-release products that are, some are, going to be ready relatively soon some are going to be ready in the distant future tm um and it's also like this weird role-playing game thing which was fun but very strange <laughs> um your former lover brian lunduke was there yeah i think they had a lot more i think he's probably there because he's part of press they had a lot more press this year it sounds like yeah i was technically press so i was i was uh the press still did the game but i think there was something for like the people who won there was a contest i don't know much about the contest i uh-huh. think if you they, i know they do it every year oh i see so you didn't get to do all of that as press well you do the game but uh i think the folks who were there for the contest sent in some sort of video yes there was and... a submission process yep uh-huh okay yeah so there there was like a second thing that they did but I have to say that, one, they have one of the coolest offices I've seen in a while. Yeah, yeah, it's great, huh? And, yeah, I um, I don't know. Where should we start with this? I mean, <clears throat> should we start with the whole medieval theme? No, 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 should no, we? no, yeah. no, yes, we'll get there. But let's start with where, right. we, where we left off last time. So, first of all, uh, holy shit, you made it. Like, you went. I went, and I did all the conferences. What so happened? I, like, did you just get in a mindset that I'm going to do this and, and it just worked out for you? You weren't stressed out about lost time or time away from the family? Oh, How I did was it work? Deeply, deeply stressed out. Yeah. Uh, so I did the SBA conference in Orlando. 
that was uh, not worth the time. Oh. Sort of as predicted. Then I flew from Orlando to Denver and did the System 76 conference, which I wish I hadn't gone to Orlando because um, I was already run down from Orlando. And I, I, there's just no payoff. And it wasn't, to be honest, it wasn't a super enjoyable event. Yeah. Um, so you come in and into, you come into Colorado and you're kind of feeling low energy. Feeling low energy. You know, you, you, you know, you've been eating travel food. You're yeah, kind of like not sleeping yeah, great, not sleeping great. So, eh, but I got to Denver and I really, really had a great time. I nice hotel. I, was it comfortable? Did you sleep? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was the Renaissance hotel downtown. Very nice. Mm-hmm, slept mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't and downtown Denver is really nice, isn't it? Yeah, see, that's why I wish I hadn't gone to Orlando because I was a little run down. Like, I didn't stay for cocktails. I didn't really do anything. Yeah. Because um, I was just I was just beat. I mean, I was just. Yeah. 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 That the travel traveling. You know, my my honest to god hack is I take I take my house with me, and it it makes it makes all of the difference. And I'm I, I know it's just not practical uh, for just about anybody but me. But <clears throat> you know, because I don't have to pack. I never have to wonder if I brought right. a charger. I never, I never spend any mental energy worrying about what I'm bringing with me or if I have the right stuff because it's I'm bringing my entire house and everything I own with me in this RV, and so that part is way less stress for me. And then every night I am sleeping in my bed. I'm eating my food. I have the breakfast bars I like to have. If I get hungry in the morning, I need to eat something really quick. I have juice in there that I like to have. Uh, I just, you know, our coffee, it's it's my entire home. It's my couch. And so yeah. I'm able to go in this space and really sort of relax in a way that I don't feel like I relax when I'm in a hotel room. And it makes travel so much more doable for me, but it makes it so much slower. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to, you know, hit this point too much. But if I'm in the same type of situation in a year or in six months, I would just pick one. And that would be it. Here's I would why not I bring try it up. to do two back to back. Because we have a lot of people that are thinking about going and working for themselves or do work for themselves or have the opportunity to travel for work. And I really want people to understand that there is there is more that goes into this because what happens is something comes up three months early and you go, yeah, I'll go to that. That sounds like a great idea. But there is a real cost to your productivity, your energy, which then affects how you handle work things, how you handle stressful things with family and work. It's all it does all come back together. Yeah. But that, you know, so I just want to touch base because, first of all, I was really impressed that you managed to make it all work because I know that's that's kind of like a personal achievement for you. So congratulations on on that, because that would have been challenging for me flying. That would have that would have been hard. Uh, yeah, I am a well-known hermit. So yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, but, yeah. It, uh, you know, uh, so, okay, so you get there. Um, what are you looking for when you get there? Are you looking for, like, is this a hardware vendor that I can get behind for the next few years and maybe I'll start buying more machines here? Are you, what are you so personally looking for? No, yeah, I didn't know what I was going to find when I got there. Um, I flew in at night, so I, you know, I got to town, I took a cab to the hotel and I went to sleep, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I, got, I mean, it's, you know, re- really exciting swinging lifestyle of, uh, yeah. You mean you didn't take guy. a you didn't take a swim in the uh, the beer pool that uh, Emma t- uh, tweeted a picture of? <laughs> no, I, I I in fact I yeah I'm just like no <laughs> no. <clears throat> I got there in the morning and I have to say, they have a lot of interesting stuff going on. Hmm. Now, the game itself I'll call it a game. It was like it was just like you know the the 
D&D style themed event is not super interesting for the show, but was, was enjoyable. And it's great to get people who some of them kind of knew each other. Some people have like heard of each other. Um, just get everybody to loosen up a little bit, which I think is really smart, especially for people like me who tend to be a little more like reserved initially. Let's get into the meat, though, shall we? Yeah, I, I really I mean, we, we, I could go on about how I like their office setup, but that no one cares about that. It is interesting, though, uh, you know, as a small business owner to go into uh, what started as like a very small two person operation and has now grown into a, a space that has like a le- really nice office in downtown Denver, Colorado. Yeah, it's, it's really that's nice. just interesting is, when uh, you walk in. There's a small business owner going, geez, I wonder, could my operation end up kind of looking like this one day uh, with this? Is this how I, you know, you just kind of you kind of model some of that. But you're right. So I mean, they they. They really showed their fortitude too through uh, Ryan Sipes' blood alcohol tolerance. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, he's probably he's probably been preparing ahead of time. <laughs> so, like he did some pretty intense Rocky Four style training with kegs. Yeah. What do you consider the meat of the visit? The hardware. Right, what so, is it? I think there are three things, and I hope I'm okay to talk about them all because I didn't sign a damn thing. So one, remember how I said, "Hey, let's get a uh, you know metal." like laptop that runs Linux and is made by a vendor who can make that. Remember that? I was very into that. Yeah. They're doing that. And I had it I had a prototype in my little fat hands. Give me something here. What is it like? Tell me about it. It is um it is like the previous generation MacBook and the MacBook Air had a baby. Body. really yeah i think it's slightly thinner than the previous gen macbook pro and it is slightly bigger than the air now the prototype they have is not com- complete in some ways like i wasn't sure if the screen was final um you couldn't power it on or I, I should say i didn't power it on and the keyboard it was actually just using the lemur keyboard not the keyboard it's going to be hmm. that is pretty exciting um it felt good. I mean, again, for a prototype, so giving plenty of, you know, leeway there. Mm-hmm. I I think that for those of you, myself included, who like the customization of, you know, Linux, the, the power of using Linux workstation, the support you get when buying from System76 or another vendor who, you know, actually supports it instead of like buying an HP and paving it but sort of want more of a Apple-esque metal build quality. It seems like it's going to be a good example. I'm hoping to get my dirty little claws on a review unit whenever they're available, and I would be ha- I would write a review of it. If not, I might end up just buying one and writing a review mm. of it. So you're pretty pumped. But this is, a, yeah, this is, the, right, this mean, is the right machine. This is, this, is, this is interesting. Well, remember when I bought the Lemur, what I effectively wanted, right? The Lemur was a compromise for me. I wanted a MacBook Pro that was just like Linux out of the box and mm-hmm. not, you know, mm-hmm. $24,000. Mm-hmm. So I don't know anything about price point. Um, you know, they ship Intel. So let's assume it's like Cabby Lake, right? Mm-hmm. My understanding is this is a product that's going to be released relatively soon. Mm-hmm. So we probably are, you know, what you see is what you get. And yeah, I, I think that's a great step for them. And I think it's the right product, particularly for the market that listens to the show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you got a sense, too, probably that they seem like a company that you would feel pretty good about buying future machines from, too, which so it's because here's what I've been worried about is <clears throat> I've been a System 76 customer for like almost 11 years now. Okay. Uh, I was literally 
one of their I might have I, I can't remember Carl told me once I was either if you don't count friends and and close family I was like number two or number three maybe even number wow. one customer uh, so it's been a really long time and I holding in my in my hands at this very moment I have the uh, Dell uh, XPS uh, I don't have a shot of it yeah that's too bad I have the Dell XPS 13 Sputnik edition the latest KB Lake Yes, yeah, i seven four sure. K screen, and uh, it's it's definitely a pretty well built product. And I'm I was I've been kind of personally worried that uh, the lemur might not compete with it. And this so is a I, nice I, machine. So I'm I'm, I'm yeah. what you're telling me makes me feel really relieved because I was starting to think, geez, maybe my next machine might be a Dell because this is starting to check more of my boxes. But it sounds like they're going into this direction that might make it competitive with the XPS, which would be. I think a yeah, great and one. of course we should say that like they do not sponsor the show. I am not paid by them in any way, and you are not paid by them for saying this. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, if you like other vendors, you like other vendors. The one thing that I liked was I had a conversation um, on I can't recall his name. I think it's Bjorn, their head of support, and they really do have what I would consider that dedication to support. Which yeah. is important if you're buying a ton of these. I think it's, which it's, I may be buying a lot of meerkats very soon. It's so. a it's a it's a deep it's a deeper understanding of Linux and it's it's both its advantages and its short shortcomings. It's a deeper understanding than a lot of like the Lenovo's and Dell's have, and so that that is reflected in their support. Yeah, and it, it, it's an issue. I mean, this if you are a Mac convert looking to go to Linux, but you want like a Mac style. Look, I mean, magnesium, aluminium, whatever it was. I'm trying to say um, it's similar. I won't say it's the same because they have their own style, but it has that similar look and feel. Good. That's not all. Oh, good. Well, I'm really glad they're because I'm. They're, I think the heart that it's getting next level on the competition, so I'm glad they're stepping up. Okay, so what else? So, all right, Donald, are you ready? Oh, it's huge. I really hope it's okay to say this. If not, I doubt I'll ever be invited back. Well, they have <clears> – <throat> they're very clear if you're not supposed to talk about it because I've, I've got into <clears throat> rooms and things that I'm not allowed to say things about. They'll be, they'll, they're clear. If they're talking to press, then it's, it's public. They're going to start making computers in Denver, like straight up manufacturing them. Wow. I mean I know they do some assembly now there. Wow. Assembly in Denver right now, but now it's going to start model by model. But I saw designs and a um, laser cut acrylic prototype with some aluminum fastening and like decorations. I I don't know how they put it together, but prototypes of what I will say is a gorgeous looking desktop that look if they spec it right will be a pretty powerful workstation for developers. And for those of you who are on my, you know, get rid of the H-1B visa and, you know, don't want to say America first these days anymore. Um, Fastest. Sort of sort of local trade kind of uh, philosophy, then that is something that's pretty attractive. What I found really attractive was how much they're interested in robotics and automation for this process. You know, we've been talking a lot about 3D printing, um, well, a little bit. Um, I've been looking into 3D printing a lot. We would talk a lot about bots, and they are literally looking at buying robots, which is just amazing to me. That's a huge machines investment. Making machines is a huge investment. Um, 
did you get any? That seems like that'd be way off. Yeah, that's a ways away. But they talked about it, and I assume it's okay. Yeah, so. and it might, and it's it's interesting because it gives you an idea of maybe what they're working towards. Well, I think it, I th- I think it gives you an idea that they they are now going to have a greater focus on really having each of their products hit a certain segment on the head. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, um, so Dell's announced two new models of Linux machines that they haven't had before, and Lenovo just announced a new line of high-performance Lenovo's that are more like their uh, more like their Oryx or Bonobo type laptops, big, you know, big, huge, like ECC memory, Xeon processor, huge laptops. So, and then and then Dell has announced uh, a uh, a desktop line, an all in one desktop line, and, and uh, a workstation class laptop, and the XPS thirteen refresh. So these, uh, Chris, I just got a text from Satya. Go f yourself. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's just to me it's interesting that the market for this stuff is is heating up. It is genuinely it's happening in front of us right now. And so it sounds like System seventy six isn't standing still about it. it. Sounds like they're they're moving you know, forward. I don't even want to say this because Code Radio is not a link show. But my wife, the former Microsoft employee, saw me on my twenty seven inch Dell monitor with the lemur and clamshell. I was like, ooh, did they upgrade Mac? Oh my gosh! You're like sort of. But one. Suck at Canonical, because yes. And it was not elementary OS. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. It's just Unity. But I was you like, yeah, why? Like, users like that side launch bar. Every time they, I set somebody up with a Unity desktop, they like it. She's like, that looks good. I like that. Yeah, yeah, they do. And I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. Like, you're you're losing them. But yeah, I, I you know, it was a great time. A uh, lot of, it was probably the nerdiest place I've ever been, though. I mean, <laughs> Probably should be if they're a Linux hardware vendor. That's probably appropriate. I don't know if you could find a nerdier place. Love it. Uh, I have, so before we go too far off of your desktop, I have uh, some questions for you that I want to get answered on the show because I've been thinking about it. I've been ruminating on it. Let me mention DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. You apply it to your account after you get set up, and it gives you a $10 credit. Now, this is nice because their base rig, $5 a month, 512 megabytes of RAM. You get it. Nice, fast 20 gigabyte SSD. They got a terabyte of transfer on this thing, a fast CPU core. This is a really nice setup. And their systems scale very nicely. So you could add on to that later, or you could start at a different rig, maybe a like a 220 gigabyte RAM rig, you know, just way up there. They have a whole, whole range. Um, and I think something to help wrap your head around a little bit is you can go from the monthly pricing over to hourly pricing. So this I mentioned because one of the ways uh, I use DigitalOcean the most these days is I have a base set of droplets, probably four or five that run 24-7. And then I spin up these three cents an hour rigs as I'm trying different things for like mostly the Linux Action Show. Sometimes unplugged. Sometimes we're trying something here at the studio and just need one more machine to send a secondary stream to to try something. Three cents an hour gets me two gigs of RAM a two-core processor, 40 gigabytes of SSD, and three terabytes of transfer. And then if I'm doing something where I'm recording a lot of the stream for, like, say, three hours while we're testing something, I can attach block storage as I need it. Such a good system. And I spin these things up just using their API. They have a really nice interface, but I use their API. We have it tied in with our bots here in the chat room so I can start and stop droplets using just bot commands. I really, I really didn't really get into that until after more than a year of using DigitalOcean because the interface is so amazing. But uh, now, 
really love that we've built tools around that. Simple API. You can deploy your machines in seconds. You can take snapshots. It's a great way to try out the entire application stacks with a single click from their dashboard or build a base system and just install what you want. One of the ways I, re- I love trying things out because it's so unbelievably fast is I deploy an Ubuntu LTS system with Docker. It's got all the repos and the GPG key, all that stuff. It's just a real base with all the Docker stuff properly installed with the proper app sources set up. Log into that thing. Docker's already set up and good to go. I pull down an image, and you can get going with something you want to try in Docker in minutes, three, four minutes. You can have an entire system up, logged in, and have already your connection to Docker Hub set up. It's, it's so the future. It's, it really makes it feel like we're finally living in the future. It's computing on demand with incredible speeds, data centers all over the world, and a great interface to make it all work. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. When you sign up, support the show and get a $10 credit at DigitalOcean. Dot com. Digitalocean, Digitalocean, Digitalocean.com. So, Mr. Dominic, uh, did you get a little desktop curious why you were at System76? I saw you tweet recently that uh, you were asking the universe, which is always a risky thing when you ask Linux users for their opinion. Uh, trust me on that one. Uh, you were asking them for alternatives to Unity for your Ubuntu desktop that are not the usual GNOME and KDE. And so I guess I wanted to ask you, are you... Uh, are you upgrading your desktop setup? You're 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 enhancing your productivity, or is Unity f- ended up lacking in some way? What's going on over there? Uh, no, I mean the Lemur is going to stay the way it is on Unity because it works, and it's my production dev machine, so things that work stay. But the Rattel is either going to become a like server for a Plex, totally legitimate Plex thing I'm doing. Cool. Whoops. Um, with the Meerkat being the thing that plugs into the TV. Yeah. Which I would need to pick up a Meerkat for that. But if you're doing Plex, also, you should consider just using a Roku or an Android TV box. I heard that I could get away with a Roku, but I thought they like suck in terms of. I'm going to say the Roku IDPI. Plex app is not my favorite, but um, the Android set top boxes. Are they still making them? There's there's a few. Uh, we just recently did a last a few weeks back where Noah got like one for under a hundred bucks. I've picked up; it's still cheaper than a than a full computer. I I the Nvidia Shield TV is the best Android device ever made. I'm going to say it. It's one really? of it's not only is it so much one of my favorite purchases of 2016. I bought a second one, and I love it. They get monthly updates. They always are running the latest. Uh, Android, they get the they get the they not only do they get the security updates, but Nvidia is constantly adding new features. They get all the streaming services, including Amazon Prime, which not all these boxes have, and they have a first class, grade A Plex client. And and if you want, and if you just want to have less boxes, the Nvidia Shield is so freaking powerful that you can also just use it as a Plex server. It has the entire Plex server built into it as well, being updated by the Plex team. And you can just stick a USB hard drive on the back of this thing, and it will scan it and automatically. Well, that, that is something I'm going to look into. Then. Yeah, NVIDIA Shield TV. Love it so much, I bought two. And on top okay. of that, it's actually, it's actually an extremely fun gaming machine, too. So the only gotcha is they sell one version without a remote because they're trying to essentially position it as a gaming device. But the the side effect of it being not a Plex server built for you. Well, no, they definitely talk. They have they definitely promote that, and they they've invested a lot into that 
and they continue to invest a lot into that. But I think they think what's going to push it over like a Roku is the fact that it can also be used as a legitimate gaming device because they've put the super fast Tegra ARM chips in there. And since they've amped this thing up so much for gaming, it just just tramples, tramples, whatever, just blows right through media decoding. It's it's fast forward, rewind. It's all super butter smooth. Um, and not, to, not then I'll wrap up. But because you can you can install apps from the Play Store, you can install things like Kodi, Sling TV, uh, so I can watch legitimately live CNN TV with no cable on my television using Sling TV, and I've got two of these, so I actually can use it on either television. Um, of course, it's also got Netflix and all the other apps, so it's it's my favorite, man. I just I love it so much. And the thing that's great is then it's just a little appliance box. It just sits there and runs. The remote's got like a month battery, so you just charge it once using USB micro, and then you use it for like a month. It's all good. It's so good. And if you now this is getting where it's getting crazy, but uh, there there's two models. There's the there's the version I have, the older version, and then just a month ago they released a second version. They are hardware-wise identical, except the second one has a newer design and has always-on microphones for Google Assistant. The older one, the one I have, the Generation 1, is getting a... Wait, wait, wait. It does Google Assistant? Yep. It's a Google Assistant device with always-on... So there's a Pro and then there's a Shield. Yeah, I think the Pro has the hard drive, so it comes with local storage and uh, like 500 gigs or something like that, and it comes with the remote. Well, they both seem to come with the remote. Oh, okay. Well, one, I, okay. I thought one only came with the controller. Anyways, the older model, which you could pick up used on eBay or something too for a little cheaper, is also getting Google Assistant. It's just not always listening. You have to activate it. I don't know if I'm going to even use those features, but I know since you already have a Google Home, this that actually might be kind of a nice feature. Yeah, so I think I'm just going to do this. Never mind. All right, then. So the Raytel was going to be a home family computer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could still do that too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there you so I that guess. Was easy. So what do you what I, I what I wanted to get to? My question really was: What do you look for in the desktop environment? So if you're looking for something besides GNOME or KDE, what do you? I guess what I'm trying to suss out is: What are you looking for, and how does that sort of inform your work style? Uh, so I mean, I don't like using a mouse too much. I'm big into like hitting the super key and just opening an app and yeah. being done. Yeah, totally. Me too. I spend a lot of time. So first of all, I'm a heavy user of workspaces, right? Usually my top left is the browser, document, any kind of like business task or shopping or whatever. Then the one below it is like an IDE in full screen. Then the one to that right is another IDE in full screen. Usually it's like client server. Mm. Um, and then the top right will be either another document or something else. So I usually keep it to the standard four. But I don't love... So that like Unity works for me, right? Because I just hit super... Open it. I can shift everything around with, you know, the, the uh, I want to say command, but I won't, you know, super shift, alt, whatever, drag it over. But it's a little boring. And I was hoping for something a little more whiz bang for, for the home PC. But I didn't see anything I really liked. I mean, the only other thing I saw was elementary, but that's basically, I have a feeling the family likes Unity better. One of the nice things about Unity, by the way, is if you hold down the super key, all of the uh, icons on your left launcher are triggerable by, uh, I believe, a number. So it's like super key one, super key two, super key three. So you can trigger those applications by – that's so nice. Uh, Yeah, yeah, family, the the spousal approval of of Unity seems high. 
Um, it does seem high, doesn't it? <laughs> I uh, I've recently I've recently switched to the Plasma desktop, KDE Plasma, mm. and um, was surprised that there were several features that have made it kind of what I do every day really kind of nicer because I didn't expect to have a noticeable bump in like wait a minute this just got easier. And two quick examples: when you now take a screenshot, a little notification box comes up says you've taken a screenshot, and in the notification bubble is a is a thumbnail of the screenshot, like a, but a nice, like, you can see everything. And I can click that thumbnail, and I can now just click and drag it into the application I'm working with and just have it pop right in there, which is, I, the thing, the reason why it's nice is just about every week, one or two of my show notes have several screenshots in them. And so I'm popping out screenshots pretty quick, and automating that's very nice. And then one other quick feature that I find extremely valuable is now in the task manager... Just like how in your browser tabs, in Chrome specifically, it'll have a little speaker if that tab is making noise. The task manager in the Plasma desktop now does that for your tasks that are making noise. And you can right-click on the task manager entry and mute the entire application right there. Just mute it. Which is so handy for me when I'm on air or when I'm working with the kids. I just I, I love these little features they're adding. I've been really impressed with the reliability and stability too. So... I think they have the best terminal also. I really think they have the best terminal emulator. Console is good. I really like the power of console um, because sometimes I'm SSH into multiple machines and I want to send input to all of them and I just like the way. And then last but not least, last but not least, a really, really great launcher. You, you just smash down alt spacebar and it can you can put in command line commands in there. You can do math. You can do web queries obviously. But at, at the end of the day, it's just a, it's a good launcher that learns. A little bit of what, you know, so when I type in FR, I'm not saying Firefox, I'm saying whatever, you know, frame or whatever. Like it right, learns right. that a little bit and it's just nice. It's it's really kind of been surprising. Just, I switched over uh, as a test and walked and now I haven't left. And I feel like I'm actually working a little more efficient at my desktop now, which feels really good because I don't feel like I've I've had a big sort of shift like that for a long time. It's always just sort of been kind of just the same. And now all of a sudden I've sort of feel like I've had kind of an improvement, which has been a long time since I've had that in my workflow. Feels good. Feels real good. Oh, also, look at that. You can do that in Plasma too. Meta plus one through nine. It'll go through one through your – oh, jeez. That's great. Thank you for telling me that. I didn't even think of trying that, Colo. That is – that is great. You know, and what's – so I think the Unity desktop and the Plasma desktop – Unity more so for a while now has been in this series of refinement phase. Unity 7 has really just been about small incremental improvements, taking care of little things for a couple of releases, for many releases now. And the Plasma desktop has been in this, now we're getting rid of weird things. We're normalizing defaults. We're changing the way these things sort of flow. We're refining the theme across all of the applications. And it's been in that, it's been in this release cadence now for three or four releases and so at 5.9, it's starting to get where it's starting to feel like a very super polished power user desktop environment that is honestly not only staying out of my way when I need it to, but quietly supplementing my workflow in ways that has been very beneficial. Uh, so if you ever end up reloading or you get a new box and you want to experiment with it, grab KDE Neon. It's based on Ubuntu LTS. But it's it's sort of put together by the KDE team, so it's a real good representation of what they feel like the desktop environment should be. And I'm trying to get a visual. Ooh, 
that does look pretty. Yeah, KD Neon's really nice. Uh, they have two versions. They have an LTS version, and they have a user version. Now, what's neat about the LTS version is it's it's pinned to an LTS version of the entire KDE Plasma desktop environment. So not only is it an LTS distro, but the desktop environment is pinned to 5.8 with security and bug fixes. So you're not going to have like totally new things change on you for a while because it's an LTS distro and an LTS desktop environment. So that's that's really ideal for a nice long-term development workstation. And then they have uh, the user edition, which is more akin to rolling and has the latest and greatest Plasma desktop as it ships, which is what I choose to use for most of my systems. I think I'm going to use that. And for my like long-term workstations, I'm thinking about using... That does look really nice, actually. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I might check that out. So, yeah. There you go. So if you end oh, up playing around... Remind... Oh, I don't know this. We'll, say... we'll do it live, right? What's that? Is tomorrow's show going to be live, or are we going to hold yeah, that Yeah, let's back? do it. Uh, what time works for you tomorrow? Uh, let's schedule it live. Because I was going to say, I know this hasn't been a super Devi show. Yeah. Um, so tomorrow is going to be all about the the state of Java. All right. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I have notes from weeks ago that we never used. Yeah. Well, this is a we had to catch up episode and hear yeah. about your event. Um. And you're right. So we're gonna what we're doing is we're recording another oh, episode. Chris, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Oh baby, finally. Oh baby. We're finally together on our on our favorite finally holiday. Finally together on our day. I know how much we both love it. I know it's our it's our special holiday. Um. So we are pre-recording uh, tomorrow. For next week, because uh, the beard is going back, he's uh, swimming back upstream, and uh, he'll be gone for a week. So the, the show won't have an editor, and so instead of rolling the dice on if Chris can get it out uh, with everything else he has to do, we're just going to pre-record and have uh, the beard have to grind himself down into a small pulp before he leaves. Hmm. I better supplement him with pizza and burgers to help uh, so boost his how energy. About, I mean, three o'clock. Normal time from your works tomorrow. So that would be my regular noon, which would uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's the only th- yeah, that's the only thing I was worried is we have to dance around unplugged. But I think that could work because that'll get us. We'll I, we'll probably be done by about one, which would give me an hour to set up studio for unplugged. So that should be fine. So we'll just do okay, it. We'll cool. do it at our regular noon Pacific, three p.m. Eastern tomorrow. So the same bat channel, just tomorrow time. Same bat time. Easy for me. That's easy peasy. All right, Michael, I like it. That was a live production meeting right there in the air. Live production meeting. Now the audience audience can say they're truly transparent. They are truly transparent. Uh, You know what? You can also send us your thoughts on other things, maybe things more relevant to the show, at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Choose Coder Radio from the dropdown. Or jump in on the feedback thread over at coderadio.reddit.com. Mr. Dominic, where would you like to send the fine people throughout the week? Uh, Follow at Dumanuko on Twitter. Brilliant, brilliant. See some of his great pictures from the Supervan event over there, too. I'm at Chris L.A.S., and if you didn't know I live in an RV, which I do, and it's a badass RV, you can learn all about it on my uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Chris Fisher. Follow me on Twitter at Chris L.A.S., and tune in tomorrow at jblive.tv for another episode. Thanks for joining us. I've never installed GNU slash Linux.